0: To yet another week of dad hacks. We are so excited to finally come back and continue our quest to share with you uh, all the tips and tricks from the trenches that Dave and I've learned of being dads. Once again, I'm Josh, one of your two hosts, along with Dave, the other Dave, guy. Dave, I'm Dave.
1: This is Dave. <laughs> this is the Dave guy. Everybody likes uh, me more.
0: Uh, everybody likes me more. Everybody. <laughs> And we're back to tell you all the things that we've learned about being dads. Um, All the hard-fought knowledge that we've gotten out of Cracker Jack boxes and the back of Cheerios and Wheaties boxes. And Google. And and Google. And Netflix. And (laughs) Netflix.
1: Yes! Netflix and dad. It's it's research. (laughs) Um, Yes. My Luke Cage binge is research.
0: Oh, Luke Cage. I've only watched like half the first episode and I want to watch so much more. Okay. Anyways, (laughs) and that's about being a dad. So, yes. As per usual, we are both uh, fortunate to still be dads of big families. Uh, I have four kids three girls and a boy. Dave's got 15 or 16 kids somewhere in that neighborhood.
1: Are we talking um, about the legitimate ones? <laughs> uh, no, oh, that's not true, That's Jenny, not, that's, that's not true. I,
0: that's hilarious. Apologize. Anyways, uh, you've got what four boys and a girl.
1: Uh, flip flop it. Four, four. No, that's right. Four boys. No, and that's a girl. right. That's you four, don't I'm, have. Four I'm thinking. Sorry, them. I'm thinking of of a guy we're going to be talking about. That that's right. Great. That's right. Sorry.
0: Um, so so. Yeah, we've got a good mix between the two of us, and we think that that gives us the right to pontificate. Yeah. Uh, so, and forget
1: forget the genders of your children. You know, either and forget way. the genders. Right.
0: You know, as long as your kids have some you know, measure of an idea so at some point in their life, we're doing fine.
1: <laughs> if I dress my my boys in a dress, then because there you go. I think they're that's that's like. The, the thing these days, right? You know, I'm all your, about it. I'm let your all kids about dress it. whatever they want to wear.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Let them wear what they want to wear. Okay. Awesome. What, so there you list. have it. It
1: don't, doesn't matter if you remember the gender of your children. It doesn't at all.
0: As long yeah. as you remember that you have children Discipline and don't them. leave them in the car and go into
1: Walmart. <laughs> don't negotiate with them. Make them eat their. And vegetables.
0: don't negotiate <laughs> with terrorists. That's right. Which brings us full circle to hopefully. Uh, If you're a new listener just checking us out, you take the time to go back to the archives and listen to some of our earlier episodes in which we tackle some extraordinary topics from you know how to hide your belongings in diapers on the beach, uh, how to pee into a diaper while driving through traffic, and (laughs) everything in between. We promised there's something in there that didn't have to do with diapers. I just really don't remember what it was at this point. And they're there, and we, of course... Invite you to listen to them and share your feedback with us. Give us ideas besides diapers. Um, the ideas we've gotten so far, we've loved and we've definitely taken to heart. So that is that this yeah, week. And,
1: and just just to throw it out there, those of you who have made suggestions uh, for episodes or, or told us about your hacks, uh, we're really we're really grateful. And and many of those we have we have received them and we are now pondering on them and finding ways to insert them. Uh, into future episodes so we really do appreciate your feedback and uh we we really we love to share it with the world we think it's some of the best stuff uh it's certainly better than the garbage that we come up with every week
0: well i mean is it better it's different let's not sell ourselves <laughs> short i mean we clearly think we have some idea of what we're doing some small small idea so okay i seem to be battling the beginnings of some sort of cold let's hope that it's mythical but uh if i sound a little bit in the lower registers a little bit sexier than usual that's why uh once again i'm coming off a couple of weeks of really brutal work so (laughs) if if we're a bit late in getting this up once more then you can as usual blame me um and 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 we do sincerely
1: apologize for the hiatus from i thought you were gonna say
0: I really thought you were going to say, and we do sincerely blame Josh. which Oh, well, I think well
1: is fair. We, we do that too. I blame Josh for everything.
0: You should. Yeah. You should. Global warming is my fault. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you believe in global warming, which I got, well, I was I went to science.
1: Uh, I, this is this is a true story actually, and I, I went to the Red Lobster the other night because my wife and I had the opportunity to have a date for the first time, and like. I don't know one, two, three, four years, give or take. <laughs> Just counted by uh,
0: kids: one, two, three, four kids.
1: And so I was, I was sipping on my Shock Top, you know, at the Red Lobster, enjoying a nice cold brew when I looked down and see a tiny little fruit fly in my beer, and I said, "Dang it, Josh!" So I, I literally, I blame Josh for everything.
0: I think that that is amazing. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear it.
1: okay maybe i didn't say dang it josh but there really was a fruit fly in my beer (laughs) Uh, you
0: should totally have blamed me always blame me all right so let's move on and talk about this week's episode this week's episode we are uh you know changing the format a little bit not permanently but just again we try to shake things up now and then to keep interested got to mix, mix it up. got to mix it up. got to mix it up.
1: We can't just just throw these crazy nonsense hack ideas at you all the time. Sometimes we got to talk about what it means to be a dad. Exactly. You know?
0: We got to grapple with the hard questions. We got to wrestle with philosophy. Gotta, so, Got
1: to dig into dadhood. Yeah.
0: Especially if we couldn't come up with a good thing of, like, hacks this week. And we're just like, <laughs> well, hell, let's Shh, talk about this.
1: Don't you tell them that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So this week we're talking about great dads in history, and some of the characteristics that we think make a great dad, and then Dave and I each have a couple of examples, historical examples, uh, I would say very, very Western, very, <laughs> for the most part, Anglicized. Um,
1: well, well, I mean, you you got to pull from what you know, really. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, and 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 just caveat right off the bat the the, the selections that we've made for admirable dads that we're going to tell you guys about by no means represent the the massive pantheon of great dads that there are. In true. fact, I mean we recognize that it's probably a very 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 you know narrow band of of dads that we're going to describe to you, but we will also kind of explain some of the reasons that we chose these guys and why we think they're interesting. You know not just good dads, but interesting dads,
0: and you know when we pick these, we realize as well based on on our perspective, our lens of what makes a good dad, and we recognize that everyone might have different feelings on that, and you know my thoughts on that are that if if you've just got really divergent feelings and make your own damn podcast <laughs> um. <laughs>
1: Oh, he didn't mean that. He didn't mean that. We love you guys. I didn't. With because your divergent if you
0: made, feelings. If you made your own, <laughs> own podcast, it would probably end up being better than ours. <laughs> it, would, it
1: would be significantly better than
0: ours. You know, so we're, we're barely surviving as it is. Uh, mm. I don't even think iTunes recognizes that we're really there. Um,
1: uh, I'm pretty sure they've decided that we aren't a legitimate podcast. So those, those some, of you who listen, I mean, thank you, really. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> thanks, and Josh's mom. mom. We love you. <laughs>
0: There's our weekly shout-out. All right, uh, so diving right in. Dave. You know, I think we should definitely start about talking about some of the characteristics that we keep in mind when we are picking great dads. So, what are some totally, of the things that totally. come to your mind when you think about what makes a great dad?
1: Well, you know what's interesting back um, back when we had our baby hacks episode, we actually we talked a little bit about kind of the, you know the the socio psychological role of a dad with infants, and we talked a little bit about how you know how that dad relationship is kind of more profoundly significant than what we give what we typically i guess society gives it credit for you know like society kind of gives dads a bad rap you know True. um and it, it just it's not right like we shouldn't we shouldn't allow that because dads are very important in rearing children um and so with that in mind um you know some of the things that we look at and we say um this really wows me that this is the kind of thing that i see it makes me say man that's a great dad Um, like things, you know, obviously the, the, the prime one, and we talked about this with baby hacks episode too, is that a a dad provides, you know, a dad is a provider. They, they give their kids what their kids need. They try to provide things that their kids want. They they want to leave a legacy, you know, not just not just giving them flippant things that are unnecessary, but they want to leave a legacy for their children. And really, the the greatest dads, the 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 dads of history that we we really admire and look up to, all have have this really profound legacy that they left or attempted to left attempted to leave for their kids. Um, and then so uh, another one like not not just being a provider but a protector, you know, uh, the the stories that we see that that really you know warm our hearts and and tug at our heartstrings um are the ones where we see a dad kind of kind of you know sacrificing himself or maybe putting himself in harm's way or maybe you know just kind of going against the the grain of you know the the human desire to protect itself to do something to protect their kids you know uh, and and that's something that we find extremely admirable And so, so uh, being a protector and even like a self-sacrificing protector is a characteristic of a great dad, Um, you know, um, and then so, so some other things like uh, for me, at least um, an educator, like with my kids, I, I want to, I don't just want to educate my kids. I don't want to fill their heads with knowledge. I want to fill their heads with wisdom. Like I want to give them knowledge, but then I also want to give them, you know, a desire and a, and an ability to apply it. You know, I want them to to take the stuff that I give them and go out and use it in the world to make their lives better. So like, I guess educator maybe is, is kind of a limited term for that. Like I, I really, I want to not, not just, I want to raise my kids. I mean, really that's the word, you know, I don't want to, don't want to just educate them, but I do want to teach them, you know, and I want to teach them with my words and I want to teach them through books and I want to teach them through experiences um, but but not just that i want them to observe me i want them to see my actions and i want them to mimic good actions and so uh, as much of my education for them uh, is related to trying to to make myself a better man you know when i'm around them and when i'm not too like being a better me so that they'll see a better dad and they'll be a better person um, so an educator um, and then i guess you know this is one of the most profound things that i've been able to find in my life that I can give to my kids that has improved pretty much, you know, all of our relationships, my relationships with them and their relationships with others is my faith. And, and I'm, I'm a follower of Christ. I'm, I'm a Christian. And I, and I I don't, I'm not saying, I'm not saying to you dads out there that, that you need to be a follower of Christ to, to be a good dad. I don't think that's true, but I think that whatever faith you choose or whatever moral compass you follow, I think you need to, to give that to your children and you need to give it to them, you know, very regularly and not, not hide it away and not be ashamed of it and not be afraid of it. And I think that that's another, like passing on your faith to your kids, uh, whatever your faith is in, pass that on to your kids, teach them the passion of that, teach them the, the values and the principles that come with faith and teach them, you know, this, this, just the ability to step outside yourself, it's kind of tied to this idea of empathy, of teaching them to to not be so so absorbed with their own selves, but to, to be able to experience something that's outside of themselves, whether it be other people or whether it be something like like a, a God. So so faith, educator, protector, provider. Those are those are my you know, really big characteristics of a great dad. Josh, what what do you think about that? What
0: Yeah, no, I, I... I dig, and I definitely agree with with basically all of those um, you know, and I wrote down some of the things that I wanted to keep in mind as I was um, contemplating great dad's air quotes included um, I wrote down things like you know I think that a, a great dad should be dads sh- all should be you know, principled, yeah, which goes with what you're talking about, right like I think having um a clear idea of what your beliefs are, your principles are, your, you know, your morals, etc., and, and being able to adhere strictly to them, whether it's an issue primarily of faith or just of, um, you know, community service and, or, you know, legacy, whatever it is, knowing what you believe and what you stand for and, um, sticking to it in a principled fashion, I think is important. Um, and I think it's a character that's a great dad's, both through history and in fiction. Um, you know, I had a hard time not thinking of fictional characters this week. I, yeah.
1: I had the same problem, uh, same problem.
0: And people like, uh, you know, Atticus Finch in oh, To Kill a yeah. Mockingbird, um, whose, I think defining characteristic is his principal nature. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a reason why we value Atticus so much. Uh, yeah. I also think that a great dad is dedicated, right? Um, dedicated both to their family and often to um, you know, providing for their family and working hard, and um, hopefully to their job and that you know that their career or job or calling is something they believe in and they are dedicated to because again that teaches kids many important things I think, and um, and then the last thing I said was sort of intent on creating opportunities for their family Um, if you think of the classic examples of dads who often in um, immigrant families right so these families that that immigrate to the u.s and these dads that then work three four five jobs some whatever it was in order to provide uh, new opportunities for their children to succeed and i think that that's really the idea for a father is one of the important ideas and mothers do the same thing i'm you know the son of a mother who worked multiple a single mom who worked multiple jobs to create opportunities um, but but i I think that it can be a great part of that ideal of the father of of a good dad of of saying you know i'm I'm trying to make create an opportunity for the next generation to be better than the current one yep um, and it's not that moms can't do that, but you know we often. Default to the nurturing role for mothers and the protective role for mothers, and I think that these things fill a lot of the niche of what dads do in um, relationship to that. And these things can be switched; you get sometimes dads doing more one or the other. But we're talking about sort of we, we're always sort of talking about the classical ideal of dadhood and yeah. dad hacks. Um, yeah for for specific reasons and And, it was funny
1: maybe that's why it's so appealing for us to to look for those characteristics in fiction you know because it's easy to describe you know in fiction a dad who adheres to those classical attributes but in the real world i think we find that that human beings as a whole are typically very flawed <laughs> and, and that, you know, dads are not excluded from that. Um, and I, I think I, I speak for myself and maybe even for Josh when I say that, you know, we're, you know, I didn't put myself on the list of great dad. You know, I try to be, I, I love my kids and I try to do the best I can, but I'm flawed, man. Uh, you know, and, and as a human being and as a dad. And so, so really when you look for in the real world, these, these true acts of, uh, I mean, great, you know dads you know not even like great dadhood, like being a great dad not just act you know a single act of dadness but like you know being a great dad it's tough to find you know it's it's not it's not a long list uh, sadly Um, and and maybe that has something to do with why you know dads are, are maybe not given as much um credit by society as we would we would think I'm sure that has something to do with, I guess there's, there's significantly more examples of dads who, you know, who are absent or, you know, uh, who are abusive or who, who, you know, maybe not, not so to the extreme, but maybe are just neglectful or, you know, absent in terms of their emotional connection, you know, any, any one of those things, like. I guess we all kind of struggle with that. And part of being a dad is knowing that, yeah, we're going to be flawed at times, but you can have these moments of greatness and you need to try and really, you know, strive for that. Like let every moment with your kids, you know, be a moment of greatness if you can, you know. And then when the the moments that aren't, you know, try to be a better dad. Oh, boy, this is getting philosophical real quick. Maybe we should talk about some great dads.
0: Let's (laughs) talk about some specifics. I agree. Let's talk about some specifics. So uh dave why don't you start us out tell us about your first example of a great dad from history
1: well you know before i jump in on, on my first dad i want to i'm, I'm going to lay it all out there for you i want you guys to know what to expect um we've got four dads from history that we're going to tell you guys about uh in in the, the the remainder of this episode um and those dads you know when we tell you about them initially, some you're going to be like, "Yeah, totally, yes, I get that one." And others you're going to be like, "I don't know." But give us, you know, give us a fair shake here, and let let's let's walk you through it. Uh, but we're going to tell you a, a little bit about uh, Alfred the Great, who was uh, kind of the the first king of England, sort of. That's complicated. Uh, we're going to tell you a little bit about a guy named Thomas More, uh, and and some of you may be, you know, wagging your finger, shaking your head, but hold the phone. There's there's more to come. Uh, we'll tell you about a little guy named Nicholas II, and I know many of you just gasped if you know who Nicholas II is. But I think that Nicholas II has some really great dad attributes, and of Shenanigan. course, then the 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 last one we're going to talk to you about is is Joseph of Nazareth, uh, father or stepfather maybe, or you know corporeal father of <laughs> of the the divine man Christ the King. Um, so. Uh, anyway, how, however you feel about these men, we, we're going to try to give you some insight into them and their fatherhood and, and their acts as fathers and maybe change the way you feel about them as dads. And so,
0: now you know what we're doing, so if you don't think any of those guys are worth hearing about, you can <laughs> do something else, I
1: guess. <laughs> you are wrong, if that's what you feel, and let's, let's prove it to you now.
0: So along those lines, we're now going to talk about our first dad. Alfred the Great, uh, the first king of England, or something that was remotely like England. It was, it was <laughs> England, on the England island. England was
1: a fluid concept in, in the, the time of Alfred concept. the Great. That's, that's, to be fair, Brexit and all. That's right. Ugh, <laughs> England not... is still a, 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 tricky, a tricky thing. No uh, sorry, Tris. I mean, I mean, cheerio. Cheerio. Old, old boy. <laughs> Um <laughs> All right. so okay so, lay it so on us. but i think you know even like the the folks who who are British Tristan, like, i'm sure would agree that alfred the great ranks as one of their most beloved kings sort of um so so mm-hmm. let's give some historical perspective quick on alfred the great so you guys kind of have an understanding of what's going on in his day cuz it was fascinating it was interesting um alfred the great was the brother of the the king before him the king that he seceded and and instead of passing the throne on to that king's son who was kind of young and a little bit um what's the word i guess uh, uh, they wanted to pass it on to someone who appeared at least uh to the public to be a bit more respectable so um it was <laughs> it was kind of underhanded sort of that alfred took over the throne uh, of Wessex, and this is this is not all of England when Alfred took over. Eng- England wasn't England when Alfred took over. England was um, kind of, I guess, uh, just a, a a dream of Alfred's, really. Um, at the time, let's, let's some geography here. So, if you're looking at the the English section of the Isle of Great Britain, the it was split up at, in Alfred's when Alfred took over the throne. It was split up into four four distinct sections, and you had in the south you had Wessex. And Wessex was the money, it was the power, it was the wealth, it was the influence and then north of Wessex, on the west side, you had Mercia, and Mercia was like the the sidekick of Wessex, sort of like it had some money, had some power, had some influence, um but it wasn't quite as shiny and flashy and you know panache as Wessex and then of course you had you know uh on on the eastern side, uh, you had East Anglia which um, was, okay, so, so Wessex and Mercia were populated uh, mostly by the Saxons, um, with a few exceptions, and you had some bleed over from Wales, uh, Welsh in Mercia. But then the other two sections of England, which were um, uh, Northumbria to the north and East Anglia to the east, were um, populated at, this, at the time it, that Alfred took over by the Danes. And And when I say the word Danes, what you really need to hear is the word "vikings," because that's what they were when they were on their boats., bum, but when bum, they invaded bum. on the land, they were the danes so so when I say Danes I think Vikings, which means bad bad dudes like you know they killed conquest, raped, pillaged, plundered and and felt very little remorse, if any, probably none, for all of it okay so so imagine if you will that this the guy Alfred takes over yeah they were uh, takes over um the the throne of Wessex and Winchester at a time where he's surrounded by these you know completely morally defunct heartless you know killers and pillagers I mean I if it were me I wouldn't have even done it I'd have been like no nah, man I'm I'm going to France like you guys have fun I'm out <laughs> uh, but Alfred didn't like he he loved he loved Wessex but moreover he loved the idea of a unified England and that was his idea um, and so and I, I'm going to kind of skip to the end real quick to just tell you, um, because of the groundwork that Alfred laid, he would eventually turn over his legacy to his children of dun, 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 dun a unified England. Like his dream was realized. And, and that, to me, is really significant when you talk about a guy and you say, OK, when he when he took over power, it was chaos and he had a dream of something great and by the time he handed it over to his kids that great thing was pretty much there and I say pretty much because it wasn't quite you still had the danes and and they were still battling but it was closer i mean it was nearly there and a lot of that had to do with alfreds first of all he was he was brilliant um and he he kind of he flipped the script with um english kings so kings of the various nation states of of you know lower great britain were often kind of they they came into power because of their their you know abilities as warriors their war prowess their their war you know tactics and strategy well alfred wasn't a warrior in fact he was he was really kind of more of like um what would you call it like a priest i mean he was he was a, a devout christian um he he Surrounded himself with priests, he surrounded himself with um scrolls and writing and 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 things that were cerebral and so that's that 's kind of the first thing about alfred and and the first thing that that I even talked about earlier that uh, his belief was that the pen is mightier than the sword basically and I know it 's cliche to say that, but he believed that you know there's more value in um, you know, teaching your generals to read and write so that they can send messages between each other, and then having them send you regular reports, and then having all of these things recorded constantly and kept a record of, and keeping track of all of the movements, like national movements, and, you know, army movements, and military movements, and, and all of these things. You want to keep track of these so that you can reference back to them, and it it makes you a, a wiser, more intelligent, smarter king. And that's what he was, man. He was He was just a brilliant guy. And so because of that, he pass that on to his kids and and not just not just his son edward uh first of all he had uh let me let me walk you walk you through his his parcel walk me
0: through
1: it he had first of all he had six kids the (laughs) the history books will tell you he had five kids but the history books are funny (laughs) that's right (laughs) alfred had six kids his first child was in his younger um more uh uh, Proclivius days He had uh, I guess an affair uh, In his younger days With um, a woman who would become He he would make her a maiden In, in the the house when he becomes king Which was kind of awkward uh, But he had a bastard son with her Whose name was Osforth And Osforth was never recognized In any legitimacy By um, the Either the royal family Or the history books or any of the priests that recorded the history or wrote like the the biographies and things of of Alfred and his um, his children, but Osforth was Alfred's firstborn son and, and to some extent kind of his heir. But it was Alfred's plan. So so this is the first uh, applaud thing for Alfred as a dad. Alfred didn't kill Osforth. Way to go, dad! Right? Way to go, dad! <laughs> Okay, so maybe you're scratching your head right now. Why? What makes him a great dad for not killing his son? Well, let me tell you, um, in that day and age, if you were a king and you had a bastard son, it was pretty much understood that that child was at some point going to try to kill you and then claim the throne for themselves. And that happened a lot. And so often, when they had a son out of outside of the, the royal marriage— um, the simplest solution for a king was to have that child killed. Well, Alfred didn't do that. He he loved his son. He loved Osferth, even. And and so instead of having him killed, he attempted to have him sent off to be trained as a priest. But Osferth didn't have anything to do with it. He wanted to go be trained for war, which is what he did. And then he kind of made a name for himself over time as as somewhat of a warlord. Uh, so Osferth, Osferth did okay. But now on to Alfred's legitimate children. We have uh, first... Was a daughter born to Alfred uh, through his wife Ailswith, mind you. Um, her name was Aethelflaed. And she is. Aethelflaed. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. They have wacky names back in the day. Um, <laughs> sort of like that. Um, and then the second born uh, uh, was Edward. And Edward is a very important player because Edward succeeded Alfred as King of Wessex and King of England. And Edward is kind of the first true king of England. Even though I say to you Alfred was the first true king of England. But um Edward really was the first true king of England. Uh United England. And then of course he had three other kids. He had uh Aethel Gifu. Yeah, yeah. Um Aethel Ward and Aelthrf. Yeah, I'm I'm sure I'm not pronouncing those right, but man, those are some yeah. wacky names. But anyway, once you get past Edward, um so like you know kings use their children it sounds so bad but it's not kings use their children to expand their political influence and power so what they would do is if they had daughters they would marry them to princes of nearby you know nation states in order to expand their their footprint of power and he did that with aethelflaed and uh to some extent with his his youngest uh daughter and son Um, but they were less important so he kind of married them off to people who didn't really matter it was it was more about you know creating a connection between him and some other you know landlord so the the real interesting children of Alfred uh, are Aethelflaed and Edward Edward I've told you about he becomes the king of England and that's I mean that way to go dad right there your kid became king that's awesome but I mean it was wasn't really anything he did he was just you know he had a son and and that worked but through Alfred's um, very clever political movings he married his daughter his oldest daughter Aethelflaed to uh, a guy who is really history doesn't remember him well this guy named Aethelred and Aethelred who was because of um, some political movings found himself in command of enough land in Mercia to call himself king of Mercia um, and and while he he may not have been, it was contested. There were enough men that followed him that eventually everybody just said, "Yeah, okay, he's he's the guy." So Alfred's connection to Ethelred became the marriage to his daughter Ethel, excuse me, Flade. And um, what's interesting once Flade found her way to Mercia, the Mercians who really didn't care for Ethelred that much, um, kind of started to. Tend towards this admiration for Aethelflaed. And what's interesting is that because of some circumstances, um, Aethelred died kind of young while Aethelflaed just took over and she literally became the queen of Mercia. And so now <laughs> Alfred has a son who's the king of England and a daughter who's the queen of another nation state in England. So he had, you know, he, he passed on a legacy to his children of of you know, command and power and, and royalty. And it it really, it's, it's remarkable the legacy that he left to his kids. Um, So, uh, but I, I've really, I've wasted a lot of time on that. He, he, he's done, he's an interesting guy. He, you know, he protected his kids when the Danes invaded Wessex um, by moving his entire family into the swamps in East Anglia. Um, and essentially, at that point, it looked to a lot of the Saxons as if he had abdicated his throne in order to protect his family, and it probably felt a little like that to him. Though he never truly gave up his grip on the throne of Wessex, and and as it turned out, after you know events events changed, and and the Danes kind of retreated, he kind of went back in and took took over, and and then turned things around. Um, but another a really interesting story about Alfred that I want to tell because it's going to tie into Nicholas the Second, um, Alfred. While he was a very, very potently faithful Christian, had this incident in the swamps of East Anglia when he had been run out of Wessex because of the Danes that invaded his son, Edward. And this at the time, Edward was just a baby. And, and so Aethelflaed was a little girl and Edward was just a baby. Um, Edward got really sick. He got a fever and he was, you know, really weak. And they thought that they were going to lose him. They 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 really thought that Edward wasn't going to survive. And of course, Alfred, you know, in his, uh, um, you know, in his exodus, was surrounded by his his priests, and his priests prayed and prayed and prayed to no avail, and and then no, they couldn't seem to make any progress uh, in in helping Edward to to heal himself, and so Alfred did something really interesting um, that I. kind of applaud him for i mean as a christian i I, there's 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 this negative taste in my mouth about it but as a dad i'm like man you know do whatever you have to do to to take care of your kids and alfred did exactly that he actually um against his wife's wishes handed edward over to a, a a danish pagan sorceress um and so so the danes uh just so you're you're aware they they worshiped a whole pantheon of gods um, and, and they believed in a lot of things like omens and, and, and rituals and rites and uh, and bloodletting and a lot of interesting things um, that the Christians kind of shied away from for obvious reasons. Um, so so handing over the king's son to a Danish, uh, a Dane pagan sorceress was, was kind of a rash thing. But apparently whatever rite she performed on the solstice in the swamps of East Anglia worked Perfectly, because Edward recovered uh, and, and obviously went on to become the, the first king of England. Um, so so I guess kudos to Alfred for, you know, handing his child over to a sorceress. You know, when
0: um, when you don't know what else to do, you just hand your kid over to a sorceress. Yeah, that's
1: right. If, if you're at your last leg, seek out pagan sorceress to heal your children. That's the moral. That's uh, not the moral. Don't that's don't do not that. The really, don't, don't,
0: don't do, do that. that. Or do that. You know. Do okay.
1: That. So so anyway, Alfred the Great, great dad. You know, he he left a legacy for his kids uh, that was royal, quite literally. He left. Uh, he gave them uh, an education that no other person was doing uh, at that time, and he he protected them um, from possibly one of the most frightening hordes of murderous you know villains the world has ever known. Um, so I. I I applaud Alfred the Great. I think he's one of the best dads in history.
0: Okay. And that's Alfred the Great. And, you know, I I don't know that I can argue. I like, I mean, I'm a huge Anglophile, uh, as evidenced (laughs) by my next, my own first uh, great dad. So I'm clearly not knocking that. But Alfred, just on top of that, is a fascinating character historically. You know, he doesn't, like you said, he doesn't really fit the mold in so many ways of a a prototypical, um, um, you know, Anglo-Saxon king, right? So the yeah, the, yeah, the pre-Norman invasion in 1066. That's right. Um, but
1: he, I mean, he, he he changed things for every king that came after him. He did.
0: He, he did, he, and and had this huge legacy. And I I agree that a huge part of it is due to um, his dadhood.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah.
0: So all right. I like it. Kudos. Okay. So moving on to uh to my first one, because Dave and I'll just wax poetic for hours and hours. <laughs> yes. So at some That's point true. we have to move along. Josh, you
1: may have to tell me to shut up at some point, because when I get to talking about these guys, and, and I'm I'm a huge history buff, as yeah. you guys have probably already noticed. I, I love talking about these things that happened in the past.
0: Well, I tell you what, it's okay, because I am still recovering from, you know, 170 hours of worth of work in two weeks at night so (laughs) if mine are pretty brief like hey here was a dad he did cool stuff and then you wax poetic this week it you know i think people will forgive us so yeah so moving on my first one is thomas More, and he if you're not familiar with who thomas More was he was a an english renaissance man one could say he was one of the great humanists in the uh beginning of the english renaissance period um also known as sir thomas More or as saint thomas More, um he is venerated as a saint by the roman catholic church and the anglican church um and wrote a a very famous work called utopia um which is referenced often when we're talking about my hometown uh he he sort of coined this idea of of (laughs) utopia of the um the imaginary ideal, mm-hmm. but that's not why I'm here to talk about about good old Thomas. He was a really interesting guy. You know, he um, was alive, as I mentioned, during the beginnings of the English Renaissance, during Henry VIII's uh, reign in England, the the one of the last great Tudor king, and. Thomas More was one of his uh, noted advisors early in his reign, um, much like Henry VIII. Much like Henry early in his reign, Thomas More was a, an ardent Catholic, uh, very principled, very dedicated to his faith. He actually contemplated becoming a monk at a certain point um, and avoided that for a career in law and um, you know, philosophy and humanism. But he was very dedicated to his Catholicism. When Henry VIII decided that he wanted to put aside his first wife, uh, Catherine of Aragorn, and marry Anne Boleyn. <laughs>
1: you um, mean separate his first wife from her head? Is exactly. That, yeah. is, <laughs>
0: well, when that happened, you—it's know, it, it's it was a cataclysmic event in many, many different ways. Um, not least of which that would brought about the Protestant <laughs> Reformation in England. <laughs>
1: that's, that's right.
0: Um, because Henry calls up the Pope and says, hey, Popey. Uh, that's that's disrespectful. He calls up the Pope and he says, hey, I, I want a divorce. And the Pope's like, you can't have a divorce. You got married. We don't do the divorce thing. And Henry's like, well, I'm the King of England and I'm getting a divorce. And if I have to change the faith system of an entire nation to do it, I will. And many staunch Catholics kind of um, got crushed in the change. And Thomas More was one of them. So as Catherine of Aragon was set aside and, and divorced and um, Anne Boleyn was um, married and this act of succession uh, occurred and, and Henry was made king, uh, or excuse me, supreme head of the new Church of England. Thomas Warren was one of the more notable people in the kingdom who said, I'm not okay with this. I can't acknowledge you as the head of the church. That's the Pope. Um, I can't take the oath of supremacy to the crown. And eventually he was convicted of treason and beheaded, martyred for his faith, uh, for which he's been made a saint. His great quote, which I love, uh, ahead of being losing his head, was, uh, I die the king's good servant, but God's first, which is a um, a very faithful thing to say, and also a very English thing to say. The English <laughs> have this really great tradition of <laughs> martyrs who... Are friends to the king, and then the king, you know, goes bananas. And and uh, you know, Thomas Beckett being one of my more favorite, uh, more more beloved characters in history, probably my favorite saint. So Thomas More died for his faith. So you know, at the at the least, he was a very principled man. But he did have um, a family. He married a young woman uh, named Jane Colt, and. Erasmus, who is a noted historian, reported that um, Moore wanted to give his wife um, a better education than she had gotten um, as a child. You know, this is definitely during a time period in which women didn't get a very good education. So he tutored his wife in music and literature. Um, He was interested in expanding those educational opportunities to women. And then they had four children.
1: It's not that casual either, man. Like for Thomas More to have done something like that is really is really out there. Yeah, it's it's like, definitely I'm, notable. And again, yeah. he,
0: he was, you know, he was a a great humanist thinker, right? This progressive yeah. movement in western culture um and yeah, this is well, part of the reason you know, he embodied it.
1: Gender equality wasn't being talked about, you know, uh, in in Thomas More's day. So the fact that he's, you know, he's trying to provide you know, the, the, the an equal education, you know, for, for his wife. And then eventually, I, I mean, for his, for his daughters as well. I mean, that's, it's huge. It's, it's huge. Like world changing, huge
0: truth. And he only builds on that because he, so he had four children with his first wife, three daughters and a son, uh, much like some people's favorite podcast host. and, <laughs> Then his wife did die, and very quickly he remarried. Uh, he remarried an older rich widow to help, you know, he said take care of his children. Um, but what's really interesting is he So he also raised his, his second wife's daughter from her previous marriage as his own. He also became the guardian of two young girls um, and was a very, very dedicated father. Um, yeah. He was very affectionate, according to contemporaries. He was very dedicated to his children. He wrote them letters whenever he was traveling. He encouraged them to write to him, so he kept communication very open. And he insisted upon giving his daughters the same level of an education in the classics as he gave his son, which was, as, as you are just saying, I mean, very, very, inu- extraordinarily unusual. Um and you know the timing i think is very interesting again thomas more was one of henry the uh strong advisors principal advisors early in his reign and we remember henry the 8th for being a florid um eventually obese uh serial marrier right serial <laughs> serial um monogamist or not as the case was <laughs> And so early kind, in his reign he was he was the toast of of Europe he was I mean he was a great mind without a doubt he was very sure. capable and talented and um and, and
1: to be fair I I've spoken ill of him he's still he's remembered in spite of a lot of you know the nefarious things that he's known for he's still remembered as being a great king
0: Absolutely yeah he he yeah. expanded power he defended England yeah. very well uh um or Britain and and then of course you know there's some succession issues, right? His son Edward and Mary, but then we end up with um Elizabeth I, right, who that's is right. one of the greatest yep. monarchs in in British history. And that's right. Definitively so, um at least in part to her ability as a woman to to break through so many boundaries. And I'm not connecting that directly to Thomas More, but I just, you know, this is this is a time period in which we're first starting to see those opportunities, but it was still very, very unusual as, as, you know, that's part of the reason everyone historically is obsessed and impressed with Elizabeth because it's just sort of mind boggling that, um, a woman managed to hold the throne for, you know, as long as she did. And Thomas More, you know, predating this a little bit, you know, he's writing the early part of the 16th century he insisted. He said, my daughters are going to be fluent in Greek and Latin. Um, they're going to learn the classics. And he very proudly showed this off even. you know, There's a great story of he showed um, the bishop, I think the bishop of London, a letter his oldest daughter had written, and um, the bishop didn't believe that a woman had written it. And... <laughs> <laughs> Which is you know, a bit sexist, but still, you know, remarkable for the time. And um, Moore's decision to do this, so you know, I'm impressed by it. Not just because it went against uh, the convention of the day, and it shows his dedication to his family and his desire to take in other children and raise them um, uh, in his in his bounty. But he he also influenced other people. Many other noble families became um, more favorably interested in educating their daughters and yeah. so you know when we think about the things that I value in a great dad was he principled without a doubt i mean he he was a martyr for his faith was he dedicated to his family? He's writing to them, he's spending time with his children whenever he could he's dedicated to protecting them, and um he worked to create opportunities and not just for his his children by blood, but every child he could take in and that feeds back into something that I'll talk again later when I talk about Joseph um, of Nazareth, he but that you know, dads choose great dads choose to be a dad. Uh, they make that choice and they make it daily and they make it intently. And um, and I think Thomas More is is a great example of that. So totally that's agree. my first one. Totally agree. So there's our first two, and you know, Dave, looking at our time, it turns out that, as we probably should have anticipated, we really like to talk about history.
1: <laughs> you get, get two history buffs really talking about history, like you're not going to gonna fit it into history. an hour-long podcast, you're just not going to do it.
0: <laughs> so I think that um, what we should do is, you know, call halt for this week's episode, and um, with these first two, and we'll make this a two-parter, and pretend that we intended that all along. Yes, the
1: to be continued.
0: (laughs) We'll do a to be continued. We'll come back uh, in our next episode and we'll finish talking about Nicholas II, the last czar of Russia, and Joseph of Nazareth, the um, father of Jesus of Nazareth, uh, this little-known gentleman from uh, the dusty Middle East, and... (laughs)
1: pretty well-known pretty (laughs) well-known
0: and we will will continue to expound upon dads and who knows we may have um, a couple of guest pop-ins here and there as well yeah
1: totally i think that's a great idea um let me let's take a, a really cool opportunity here to to take the advice of one of our listeners um so here's your opportunity uh listeners um Our next episode, we're going to talk about two great dads of history. And so this is the the two-parter, you know, greatest, history's greatest dads. Um, We want your feedback, you know. You have ideas about history's greatest dads and, and things that historical dads have done that just leave you, floored with the kind of dad they were the kind of parent they were so chime in you know send us send us an email or, or or even like record yourself and send us some audio like we did uh in our last episode uh if you send us audio i'll put it in man we'll we'll play it for the world uh or josh's mom you know <laughs> either way um but yeah you know seriously tell us your feedback tell us what you think about alfred the great tell us what you think about thomas More. i mean these are two like like game changers man like world change gorgeous these guys you know reshaped all of civilization you know absolutely in, in some ways
0: so uh, yeah or you can just you know quickly tell us about some of your favorite dads from history and we will definitely give them a shout out in the next episode. Or, or
1: even in that vein tell us some characteristics of your dad or the things that you do as a dad that you think make you a great dad or your dad a great dad
0: absolutely uh, we really
1: we, we'd we love to hear from you like we're we're really we want to to kind of dig into this idea of what makes a dad a great dad, you know? Send
0: us your thoughts. You can reach out to us via email at dadhackspodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. You can also get in contact with us on Facebook. We are, we're, we are Dad Hacks. We're also on Twitter, Dad Hacks, Pinterest, Dad Hacks. Uh, we're in a lot of places. So look out and find us. Send us your messages by email, uh, Facebook message, Pigeon carrier plane, whatever you got. Um,
1: <laughs> Smoke signals. Smoke
0: signals. We'll keep <laughs> an eye Carve out for it them. Carve into the wall. <laughs> we are wanting to hear from you, excited to hear from you. Don't forget as well that you can find us uh, wherever you find your podcast, iTunes, Google Play, and Blueberry, SoundCloud, et cetera, et cetera. And you can also rate us, particularly in iTunes. Um, leave us a 4, 5, 38-star rating. Maybe a quick little blurb about what you love about iTunes. And, or excuse me I mean you can talk about iTunes but you can talk about dad hacks too and
1: yeah I mean iTunes is great and all but they right already know the how great they
0: are we need hacks. you to tell us how great we are so other people know as well <laughs> that's,
1: that's right. and
0: that's how we'll grow
1: Sorry. we need to inflate our ego
0: until our uh, <laughs> until our next episode thanks as always for listening and keep on hacking to be
1: the greatest father that you can be <laughs>